I had allowed myself to entertain something I usually avoided. I let my heart dream of the possibility of pregnancy. My cycle was late and every day seemed to bring a new pregnancy symptom. And with it, hope. At last, after nearly a decade of hoping for a third child, I would welcome another baby into our small family circle. I just had to hold on one more day and my hope would be confirmed as sweet reality. The day came and so did reality. It came as a bitter red disappointment. There was no baby, just the heartache of a hope deferred. As the mother of two healthy biological children, I can't pretend to know the deep sorrows of a woman praying for the joy of a first child. I can only imagine it. But as a woman living in the wilderness east of Eden, I know that everyone is cut by thorns, thistles, and deferred hopes. Yours may not be motherhood, but perhaps a hope for marriage. Or maybe you long for the sense of security a certain job, academic degree, or social circle might bring. Perhaps your greatest longing is for the salvation of a family member who continues to shun the gospel. According to Proverbs 13, 12, a hope deferred makes the heart sick. The infertile Sarah was familiar with this heartache. She's introduced to us in scripture as barren and seems to battle many doubts concerning God's promise of a son. Chapter four of the seed of the woman journeys with Sarah while praising the God whose strength is made perfect in the weakness of aching yet persevering hearts that look to him. Whatever your hope today, may Christ, the seed of the woman, sustain you and become the ultimate fulfillment of your every good dream. Chapter 4, Sarah, the weak matriarch in God's perfect strength. Genesis eleven twenty seven to chapter 23, verse 20. The road between Genesis 5 and 12 is littered with death. We see the effects of the fall as genealogies begin with birth announcements and end with obituaries. Genesis 5, 1 to 31. People began to multiply on the face of the earth. Their corruption also multiplied. Genesis 6, 5 to 7. God, who knows every word, deed, and thought, saw only evil continually and sent a flood to blot it out. Genesis 6, 11 to 13. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Genesis 7, 22. The consequences of the fall are staggering, but so is God's grace. The Lord preserved one man and his family, Noah, a descendant of Seth. Noah is introduced to us in scripture with a sense of expectation his father Lamech says of him in Genesis 5, 29, 
out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Could Noah be the promised seed of Genesis 3.15? Would he crush the deceiver and overturn the effects of the curse? Lamech's hope seemed promising until Genesis 9.20-27. There we find Noah drunk, naked, shamed by his son Ham and pouring down a curse on Canaan, Ham's son. In other words, the curse doesn't diminish, but rather extends at the end of Noah's story. He died like his fathers before him, Genesis 9, 29. And the genealogies continued, Genesis 10 and 11, verse 10 to 32. It's at this point that we meet Sarai. In a section filled with lineages, we meet a woman introduced to us as barren and childless. Genesis 11.30 Sarai was the wife of Abram, a descendant of Terah, Noah, Seth, and Adam, the covenant line. Like many women, she would have entered marriage in anticipation of children. Sadly for Sarai, the years passed without pregnancy. Family and neighbors perhaps ended their questions on children as they came to realize the truth. Sarai was a barren woman. The consequences of the curse bring death, not just to men, but to wombs. Scripture chronicles the journey of Abram and Sarai with numerous stories. We have 13 chapters between their introduction in Genesis 11 and Sarai's death. In Genesis 23, a span of 62 years. As we will see, the stories told within these years paint the picture of a new kind of Adam and Eve, who also prove weak, and the God who declares weak sinners righteous by faith. It begins in Genesis 12, 1-3, with the call of Abram. Of all the men in pagan Haran, Yahweh Elohim visited Abram with a command and a promise. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This marks an incredible place in redemptive history. God promised to make Abram a great nation, a covenant people for his own possession. He would extend his blessings to all the families of the earth, through the seed produced from this nation. Unbeknown to Abram, God's work to cancel the effects of the curse had begun, and he was using this childless man in his great plan of redemption. What thoughts crept into Sarai's mind as she pondered this news? Did she wonder how a man without a descendant would become an entire nation? Did God's amazing promise grow fresh expectation in her heart? 
Would she at last know the joy of motherhood? Or would God increase Abram without Sarai? Was there fear instead of hope? The couple journeyed through Canaan, and after 10 years, God met with Abram again. He reaffirmed his promise of an offspring and sealed his words with a covenant. Genesis 15, 1 to 21. Here we witness Sarai's inability to reconcile God's promise to Abram with her own barrenness. Sarai speaks in Genesis 16:2, the first time we hear a woman since Eve. Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Like Eve, who took and gave something forbidden to her husband, Sarai took and gave her maidservant, Hagar, to Abram as her surrogate. And like Adam, Abram listened to the voice of his wife. Genesis 3, 17 and 16, verse 2. This polygamous move, far seen among Cain's wicked offspring, Genesis 4, 19, proved disastrous. Genesis 16, 1. Ishmael, Abram's firstborn by Hagar, was born and with him contention in the household. Hagar began to disrespect Sarai and Sarai responded with harshness. In the end, the scheme ushered the pain and alienation promised in Genesis 3, 16. 13 years after Ishmael's birth, God changed 99-year-old Abram's name to Abraham and 89-year-old Sarai's name to Sarah. And for the first time since their now 24-year journey began, Sarah was directly mentioned in God's promise to Abraham. I will give you a son by her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Genesis 17, 15 to 21. Sarah's womb would produce life. The idea to her was laughable. She was worn out and her husband was old. Genesis 18, 12 to 14. But nothing is too hard for the Lord. Within a year, Sarah conceived Isaac. His name means laughter. God turned the source of Sarah's laughter from cynicism to joy. Genesis 21, 6 to 7. And her laughter reminds us that God's gift of children is never given because of our works, but by his grace. Human reproduction, like spiritual regeneration, is ultimately the merciful work of the living God. John 1, 12 to 13. And every child born to the descendants of rebellious Adam and Eve is evidence of God's unmerited mercy. A weak yet believing woman is useful to God. Sarah's image hangs in Hebrews' hall of faith as one who considered God faithful to his promise. 
Hebrew 11, 11. Her faith in scripture appears small at times, but we are saved by the object of our faith and not by the size of it. In Sarah, we see that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. The woman introduced to us as barren gives birth to the son of promise. From her womb comes a great nation and eventually the seed who would do what Noah couldn't, crush the serpent and trade our curses for his blessings. God made weak Sarah a matriarch of faith. He is kind. And as we will see in our next chapter, even Hagar can tell you that.